Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Clap Your Hands Podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Make sure you download that app to get all the episodes first. Brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And today we are brought to you by the biggest news in the NBA. I mean, you know, a bit of a Friday news dump because you don't want to overshadow the most boring finals in NBA history. But Daniel House is back right before the pod. This is why it's good to record a little later. You wait for the big news to break that uh, the Sixers have their hope back. Daniel House, player option. He'll be back. Listen, it's an emergency pod. For <laughs> it's an clearly emergency the pod, most yeah. important Sixers move of the entire week. Yes. Um, and of the arguably the entire year. You know, I don't know that well, there's going right. to be a bigger decision than this. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Here's like my non sarcastic takeaway. Does Daniel House, House come back if he knows Harden's leaving? I don't think it matters either way. You I think this matter. is just some money. I think if he doesn't pick this up, he's probably signing for a minimum at most. Minimum. So this is just a. But, you know, it's good for him. And we'll. Let's not bury the lead, though. We can have the sarcastic lead in and all that. Yes, but, yes. Uh, Nick Nurse is now officially right. the head so, coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. So they announced Nick Nurse yesterday. Uh, obviously, he speaks yesterday. They have the introductory press conference. Uh, Kyle, you were there. Um, I watched it after an hour outside tracking Eagle stats. So pretty happy day for Elliot. Got to watch practice and live tweet a press conference. Um, but the press conference before we get into the specifics of what he said, cause there was a lot of interesting things. Um, I'm curious being in the room, just what your overall takeaway was from your first. And obviously you've been in the room with Nick nurse before you've covered him when he, when he coached uh, against the Sixers, but now that he was there, he had his Sixers Jersey. Just what were your takeaways from the press conference? So one, it doesn't seem like yet. I'm sure he has his ideas of how they're going to set up and play and all that. And he delivered whatever that is yeah. to Daryl and ownership and certainly to Joel whenever they met. So I, I did think it was a little interesting that he left it as vague as he did. And I'm sure he wants to sit down with his staff whenever that gets put together. I think the number one takeaway, though, is that he seems like a guy who's prepared to be the coach of a team that doesn't have James Harden on it. If mm. that makes sense, like nothing that he said indicated that it's like a foregone conclusion that they're bringing him back or that they expect him back. And I would take it a step further. 
I think he outright challenged James Harden to come back in his press conference yesterday. Like if you just break down all the individual quotes, it's, I would love, it's, I'd be happy to have James back. It's, he would do this for the team. He would do that. But really the one that stands out is him saying, our sales pitch to James is that we have a team that can compete and win. And it's almost like a, hey, buddy, you're thinking about going to Houston where they don't really have anything going for them right now? Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. That means you're a loser. Um, <laughs> and I'm like exaggerating, obviously. Right. You're, you're but paraphrasing it does seem, your own opinion. In yeah, there, this is yeah, my yeah. opinion. But it seems yeah. like he's putting, I wouldn't say pressure, but he's saying to James in so many words, like, listen, man, you want to chase the bag and go to Houston. That's your prerogative. But if you actually care about competing and winning, and those are, as he said in the past, his top priorities, this is the place to do it. And I thought that was a really interesting approach yeah. for him in his opening press conference. with the So team. I guess let's just get right into the James Harden thing then. Um, so he's asked about James Harden. And initially, I thought his answer, he kind of deadpans and goes, you know, James is a great player. And he pauses a little bit. And then he's pushed on it. And at that point, he, you know, kind of said what you said. So my takeaway, and I, I'll curious for your opinion on this, is it's hard for me to believe there's a world where the Sixers really want James Harden back and he still goes to Houston. So what's interesting to me about his answers is he's almost giving a sales pitch where, like you said, you can win here. This is why you should come back, all those things. But I'm surprised they need to do that because it should be very simple. If he, if the Sixers want him back, they have the ability to do it. I guess it could come down to money on, you know, maybe Houston is offering him way more than the Sixers are willing to pay. And so their sales pitch is essentially, hey, you know, take less money and come play and try to win with us. But I'll be disappointed personally if they think they want James Harden back. Nick Nurse wants James Harden. The Sixers think the best thing for the team on the court is James Harden. And he leaves because of money. Like that, that would be disappointing to me when, I think the championship window is still open. Nick Nurse talked as if the championship window was still open. So I hope this isn't coming down to money, but it sounds like it is. If Otherwise, what, what's the sales pitch for? Well, so are you saying disappointing from the perspective of like Daryl and the team or disappointing yeah, I'll, I'll from, be, from James? No, no. I'll be disappointed in the team if they believe the best path forward to winning is James Harden for you know next year, two years, whatever. And they let him walk over, because let's be real, it's not going to be $100 million. If they let him walk over, you know, $10 million a year or whatever. I, I would be disappointed as someone that wants to see this team win if they choose money over the best path. Because otherwise, otherwise, why are you making the sales pitch? Okay, I'll, I'll give you the other side of the argument. This is why you're paying Daryl Morey a lot of money to run the team, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is a... This is not a decision where it's like you and I can sit here and say, are they better with James Harden than without him and like having to figure out how to replace him? It's very obviously, yes, they are better next year if James Harden is on the team compared Mm -hmm. to, you know, using their cap space, what little cap space they might have or using the mid-level to sign a guy. Like the answer is obviously yes. Where it gets tougher is if you sign James Harden to a max deal, how are you boxed in moving forward? How difficult is it to get off the contract if things go bad? And like, those are the things that Daryl actually gets paid for. Like you, we can all sit here on the outside and say, this player is good. If he's on the team, they're better. And that's, you know, anybody who can play like NBA 2K can do that. The reason that you have people like Daryl Morey and cap guys on the team and so on and so forth is because they have to actually put a value, a sticker price on these guys and say, here's the threshold we're willing to hit. And I would argue that it, this is the right way to approach it. Like they should want James Harden back. As much as last the end of the season ended in like a spectacular failure, he certainly made them better. But yeah. he did not make them good enough that you just say, I'm giving this guy whatever he wants for the next four years. And my organization is essentially tied down to him and by him. So, you know, I, I think they're, they're handling this the right way. And I've said to you for probably like two and a half weeks now, since whenever the season ended, right. I don't think they're going to pay that full max number. And I think there is a limit. I don't know what the exact limit is. 
I think there's a firm limit on what they're willing to give him. And I think that's the right approach to take. So I also agree that I think there's a firm limit on what they're trying to give him. But what Nick, Nick Nurse said that I thought was interesting was he said, you know, James has a choice to make. I'm, I yeah. believe I'm paraphrasing, but I think that might have been exactly what he said. Like James, James has a choice to make. But that indicates that they really want him back and that I guess they believe this Houston stuff is real because, it, you know, there's been some Brian Windhorst, Brian Windhorst has reported on this a little bit, that there is some skepticism that maybe this Houston thing isn't legit. And maybe this is just a negotiating ploy to get more money out of the Sixers. And if that's the case, and we're piecing together what Nick Nurse said yesterday, then it backs up with what you're saying, where the Sixers are, you know, probably saying to James, look, we want you back. Here's a number we want you on. Like, let's do it. And it, maybe James is hesitating and saying, no, I got to think about it. So the Nick Nurse thing to me at least indicated pretty strongly, I believe, that they want him back. Like, I, yeah. I don't think you answer it that way if you don't want him back. Where I disagree with you a little bit is I don't think he talked as if he was a head coach that didn't think James was going to be back. I didn't get that takeaway. I didn't get the feeling of, hey, well, look, he did say the thing about I'm here because of these two, and he pointed to Daryl and uh, and Josh Harris, who remains just horrendous on a microphone. I understand why he has <laughs> there, but – Dude, like he is, he like props to him. He's a good owner, but microphone, not, not his strength. Um, but I didn't get the takeaway that he thought James was going to be gone. What gave you that takeaway? Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Well, I think it's less that he's going to be gone and more that it's an open question at okay. this point. I, I, I think it's he sat there and spoke like a guy who I won't say is uncertain, but he sees what's in front of him and says, I took the job not knowing whether James will be back. Like if James mm -hmm. is back, great, and he'll design things around him. And But he, I think a big reason that he said he's kind of deferring how we're going to play and what we're going to do is because they don't really know in a month from now what this, what decision James is going to make. I want to add one more point on like the, the salary number, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the big worries that a lot of people have is that because there's this long history between Daryl and James, that the sentiment is just going to be, Oh, that overrides everything. And, I have so much history with this guy. I just, I'll keep him no matter what and I'll pay him no matter what. And I think it's important from an organ organizational perspective to see, yeah, they're not just going to pay James whatever he wants because Daryl loves him and yeah. won a lot of games with him. And, you know, his reputation in many ways is predicated on the success that Harden afforded him in Houston. So I think that's an important thing to know going forward about Maury and about the team. Now, We'll see. Maybe we get to July 1st and they just pay him full freight. And it's like, well, <laughs> I, I don't think that's the right thing to do. But from where we sit right now, it seems like they're walking the correct line, which is to say, but, we want you back, but we want you back on our terms and not yours. So I do agree that Daryl is definitely giving off the perception that he is not just going to do whatever James wants. I mean, we're, we're sitting here talking about Nick Nurse as, as head coach, and there was a lot of worry they might just sign Mike or hire Mike D'Antoni because of his history with James. And from what it seems, they didn't even interview him. So there, there is that instance where they've already said, we're not just going to do whatever Harden wants. Also, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, it seems Nick Nurse only spoke with Joel prior to taking the job. So, and I know James is not, is a free agent, so who knows, but it doesn't seem as at least James was super involved in the decision to hire Nick Nurse. Where I do disagree with you slightly is 
I think if July 1st comes and they give Harden, let's say four years, I don't know, 180 million or like more than 150. For me, 150 is a number. If it's less than 150, I think at that point, you're probably looking and going, okay, it was 50, 50, 60 million less than what the max was. They didn't give him full money. But I think at this point, do you agree that if they give him a ton of money, it's because they had to? Like, it's not going to be that there was, they were tricked into it or they were just going to do it no matter what. I think that Maury is, is at least portraying he's holding a, a hard enough line here that if he crosses it, it's only going to be because James is legitimately gone if they don't do it. Yeah, but look, that's how free agency works, right? It's all it's all about leverage. And if they mm-hmm. could pay now, if they could pay him X amount of dollars and not have it impact the salary cap, they'd pay him whatever it took. But right. because they operate in this world where there are the new ramifications from the new CBA and so on and so forth, like they're incentivized to pay him as little as they can get him to agree to. Like that's yeah. just how then a salary cap sport. So I don't want to go too far down this road. Like free agency stuff is going to be more prevalent a month from now. But I, I do think that was the major, major takeaway from what nurse said is, you know, they are preparing for either outcome and either outcome is firmly on the table right now. This is well, not, a, it's not a group that's like, Oh yeah, we're, we're going into the summer knowing that James will be here next year. So the last thing, and then we'll talk about other non-hardened stuff with Nurse. But do you? I just find it hard to believe he took the job without a really good idea of what's going to happen with Harden. I just—it seems like too big of a chess piece. To I mean, we don't know. You know, I mean, obviously, you talk to people, you you have maybe an idea, but Daryl Morey has to have a pretty good idea at this point, right? The free agency is a month away. It's been three weeks. The you know there was the combine thing where all everyone in the league is there. I just. Do you really think that Nick Nurse took this job without knowing? Well, you never know, no, right? Yeah. Like, so we could go back through. Do you remember when DeAndre Jordan was a free agent? Yeah, and they locked him in the house. Dallas, Dallas thought yeah. they had him on an agreement, and then the Clippers essentially kidnapped him. And yeah, Mark yep. Cuban's like driving around trying to find him. And With it the was banana boat emoji, if I remember correctly. Paul Pierce posting, uh, what was it like rocket ship emoji? Yeah, was exactly. That, that was it. It was rock. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you never know, right? Yeah. You can you can think, and obviously there are a lot of prominent examples, especially with guys at this level. The smoke you can't ignore, right? When people were like, LeBron's going to LA. LeBron's going to LA, and it looked ridiculous on paper for a while. At a certain point, it reaches a threshold where you're like, Yeah, he's going to LA. Yeah, like, going, there's yeah. just too much noise. And it does seem like, and I'm sure, look, Daryl knows more than you and I do, obviously. I would bet you he has a pretty good idea of what he thinks James is going to do. But until his name is signed on a contract, everyone has the chance to make their sales pitch and uh, try to convince him one way or another. Yeah, no, I agree that it's not 100% done. I just, I find it hard to believe he doesn't take the job. He, that he takes a job without at least an idea of what the team is expecting and what they want to have happen. Like, I, I think that he doesn't meet with Daryl Morey and goes, well, if he signs, he signs. There's probably a decision made in that meeting where he's being hired of going, this is what we both believe the best path forward is for the team. And if it doesn't happen at that point, we adjust, but all right, the James Harden thing aside for a little bit, because I do have a hypothetical for you later on. Um, Nick nurse outside of James Harden. What do you think fans, like, what were you just being around him? What were your other takeaways? The way he commanded the press conference in person, any maybe interaction you had with him. What are some other thoughts you had from his introductory press conference? I mean, it was, it was good. I mean, he didn't nail himself down to anything. And so I think there's going to be some real mystery to what they're going to do until we get into training camp preseason mm-hmm. and kind of see what they have. Um, I asked him specifically about, and this we kind of build off the Harden stuff, about Tyrese Maxey because for for two reasons. One, regardless of if Harden leaves or not, his development is essentially the biggest or most obvious path they have to internal improvement, right? Like at his age and his skill set, the biggest jump they can probably get is if he just turns into an all-star. Right. And he's the third guy who's got the clearest path to do so. Two, if Harden leaves, he then becomes, you know, barring free agency and trades and what have you, and they shift around the roster, 
he then becomes your primary ball handler. And he's the guy who has to run the offense and he becomes the late game ball handler playing off of Joel Embiid and doing all that kind of stuff. And so I thought it was very interesting. And I a hundred percent agree with this take nurses assessment of where he needs to go next as a player was primarily about, he's got to be more of a playmaker for others. Like he's got to be a creator for Mm -hmm. others. And that's something you and I have talked about a lot on this podcast that we know that Tyrese can score. He can be a second side player. And I think in a Nick Nurse style offense where his philosophy is move the ball, share the ball, play with speed, swing it around the floor, relocate. I think he's perfectly suited for that style of play, right? But if you're running pick and rolls and doing the rest of the stuff and he's the primary guy rather than playing off of James Harden, then there's a lot more pressure on him to make certain reads and make certain passes and, you know, evolve that part of his game. And so I thought it was, you know, it's great that he's coming in knowing that that's something that Tyrese needs to do to hit the next level. And there already seems to be sort of an organizational understanding of this is where we need to get this guy. Because look, I mean, he's coming in from the outside. He's obviously seen Tyrese a lot. They've played in the playoffs. They're a divisional rival. So they see each other four times a year, but he's not been with him every day. And so he might have a different perception of him than we do. And so I, I do think that speaks to, him and Daryl are already kind of aligned on this is what we need to do to make the next step. And I thought that was a really good sign for them with him coming in. So I did think he sounded very invested in Tyrese, which is really good. Um, I did, you know, having covered a lot of new head coach press conferences, it would have been very easily easy to go, Hey, I've played against Tyrese. He's a great player. I just got here. You know, I'll have to watch the tape and see what, see what I think. He had a very clear plan and was willing to share that on what he thought Tyrese needed to work on. And you're right. Mm-hmm. Part of that is from his time playing against him. But it, to me, that answer really sounded as if he had studied Tyrese and said, this is where I believe he can go to the next level. And I, he's not going to sit up there and go, hey, he's a trade ship. Who knows what happens? Right. But Tyrese is there is there kind of one big piece if they want to push that in to get a legitimate, you know, a Dame Lillard, for example, someone along those lines. So it, to me, it didn't sound like there was any plan to trade this guy. It sounded like he legitimately says, this is what he's good at. This is what he can get better at. And I think your point that you made to him and he seemed to agree with was he is their best chance to take a step forward next year without making any type of major chemistry changing moves. Cause the other thing he said that really caught my attention was uh, I believe he was asked how it's hard to win the first year as a head coach or something like that. And Daryl made a bad joke that made the press conference awkward. But outside of that, like he, he said something about continuity on the, uh, on the floor. And he said, we're going to have the same guys. And, you know, I don't think he's talking about the fact he knew Daniel house was going to pick up his player option. He's talking about, (laughs) are you sure? I don't know, man. That's yeah. That was this big secret from yesterday, but I do think he's talking about Joel Maxi and, you know, probably Harden because I don't think he's including Toby. So in these press conferences, they're never going to give, flat out what their plan is but reading between the lines to me it doesn't sound like they plan on trading Tyrese it sounds like they are very invested in making him a step up and to your point the 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 creating so yeah I thought his Tyrese answer was uh was very revealing and, and probably the best answer he gave in terms of a little insight into what he thinks as a head coach well you know good question uh, yeah that's so, right uh... yeah you're right <laughs> I forgot about that uh, um, yeah so I also, because you brought up the continuity thing, I thought one really interesting part of that press conference came when, I think it was actually based on that same question, that he said this problem that they have or this situation that he's walking into in Philadelphia, not dissimilar from when he took over in Toronto, right? Where the team shifted where they traded DeRozan for Kawhi, well, DeRozan and other stuff for Kawhi. So that was a big differentiator. But when he took over in 2018-19, that was a Raptors team that had been, you know, perennial playoff team, hovering around that 50-win mark and couldn't get it done in the playoffs. Now, they lost to LeBron over and over again. So I'm not so sure it's the same as 
Trey Young in Game Seven against uh, Trey <laughs> Young and the Hawks or the Celtics or getting beat by Miami last year, like slightly different circumstances. Yeah. But he said because of those similarities, like the first thing they have to do is just confront that and say, this is what it is. We have not been good enough when it matters. And like, this is our reality. We can't say, oh, we're the, we have this excuse, this excuse, this excuse. We have to sit down and look ourselves in the mirror and say, this is who we've been. And until we can like sit with that truth, we're not gonna be able to take a step forward. And so I think, you know, you go from, Look, I don't want to talk bad on Doc. You and I have talked a lot about Doc. Yeah, and I have a Doc question for you, actually. Yeah, we got. But he is historically a little bit of an excuse maker, and mm -hmm. for Nurse to come in and essentially say, "Like, this is who we are," and we have to say we're going to get better than that, and there's no reason for us to run away from confronting the fact that we haven't been good enough in the second round to win. I think that's a really important thing for him to come in and just say, look, this has been bullshit. We haven't been good enough. We haven't been yeah. flexible enough. The tactics haven't been good enough. The star players haven't been good enough. And this is how I'm going to get us there by X, Y, Z, through buy-in, through in the huddle adjustments, whatever it is. I, I think that's a really important part of his message yesterday. So I watched a clip of Nick Nurse, and I'm pretty sure it's from the coaching clinic you were talking about that you watched. Uh, it seemed like maybe it was overseas somewhere. But yeah. he was telling a story about how, I think it was the year they won the title. Game one that year, they lose to the Magic at home, I believe. And Kyle Lowry had zero points, and they, they lost. So they're down 0-1. And much similar to the Sixers, there was a lot of playoff baggage there where people are like, oh, my God, here we go again. And he says, he calls Kyle Lowry into his office and he goes, me and you are going to get ripped for the next 48 hours. That's what we get paid big money for. But I'm going to have a team meeting, you know, in an hour or whatever. And I'm going to rip you and I'm going to rip Kwai and I'm going to rip, you know, I think Serge was maybe their third big guy there or whoever. Marcus all yeah. those guys. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to rip into you guys. And he was giving him forewarning on that. And I thought it was a really interesting story for two reasons. One. There was reporting that at towards the end of his tenure, and maybe things changed, he wasn't good at communicating with players. So maybe he became worse at that. But here's And he was example. asked about that at the press. He was asked about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So but here's an example of him doing that. But I also thought, and this is where I was gonna ask you this, it was a good indication of him being willing to be really hard on his best players. And every team I've ever covered that is good the coach is able to be really hard on his best players because it sets the trend. It sets the environment. Like Nick Sirianni is able to rip into Jalen Hurts on the sideline because he knows Jalen can take it and he knows it's important for the team to see that he'll do that. I'm curious from your time covering Doc, just listening to that story, was Doc that kind of guy? I know I agree on the podium he was a bit of an excuse maker, but behind the scenes, was he a, I'm going to rip into Joel and Doc because he didn't, I'm sorry, Joel and James, because he doesn't seem like he was that kind of coach. Well, so I will say part of the reason that James didn't appear to be happy with Doc was because of that exact thing behind closed doors, like Doc getting on him less for the on-court stuff. And I was going to say it was for... about traveling though, right? <laughs> no, but I mean, look, that's part of it, right? Like if you're yeah. one of the leaders yeah. of the team and you're on the road and you're fucking around going <laughs> to clubs and like you're showing up to shoot arounds at things and you're groggy or... Right. You're just not all there. Like, that's part of the culture. Like, you'd say a lot of things about Joel and how he leads, but he's a keep to himself, doesn't go out, doesn't do the – so, like, if he has issues, it's not because he's uh, he's at live in Miami until <laughs> right. 4 o'clock in the he's morning. Not flying or to Houston every other day. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, you know, but, look, I do think Nurse will probably be a bit harsher. I think what that story illustrates is that – you have to have that sort of relationship with your stars or your leaders on the team where you can say, I'm going to just chew you out. To your point, the fact that Sirianni can go to Hertz or that if Nurse can go to Joel, I think it's got to be Joel because I, oh, think James, be Joel. Yeah. I think James, if he's back, has shown like he's just kind of this aloof. I don't know that that's going to get through to him or make a difference to him. I think Nurse has to be able to coach Joel specifically really hard. And I mm -hmm. think they're going to have to be able to live with, there might be some blowups. Like 
I'm not saying it has to get to Larry Brown, Allen Iverson territory where Pat Croce has to come in and mediate a, uh, Josh Harris a session in and, uh... <laughs> between the two of them and have like a therapy session. Right. But I do think there's going to have to be some angry words exchanged from time to time and that these two are going to have to figure out a, uh, a level of heat and a level of spice that they can get to that the rest of the team can see, hey, look, if Joel is able to be challenged like that. And look, I will say this about Joel. There's never been an indication that he has run away from confrontation from a coach. Like nobody's ever said, oh, he's uncoachable. If anything, it's the opposite. It's this guy is told something or asked to do something and he picks it up in the span of like two days or a week or just an insanely quick amount of time. So I think if nurse really rides him and they establish early on, like, look, this is not because I dislike you. It's not because I think you're a bad player. It's because I know you're the leader of this team and we have to set an example. If they can communicate that early and establish that tone, I think that goes a long way toward, you know, setting the kind of culture that they want. So a couple things off that one, I completely agree. I think the perception that Joel might like not enjoy hard coaching. I don't get where that comes from. I was asked that on WIP, you know, Oh, Nick nurse is going to coach him hard. How do you think Joel will handle that? I think people are equating Joel, you know, looking disinterested in game seven with not being coached. I think those are two completely different things. Whatever this thing that happens with Joel sometimes where you can just see on his face, he's checked out. I don't think that's because he got yelled at. I think that's just, who knows, honestly, like who knows what the answer is. But if also, if we're going to go a step further with this, the one example we ever have on camera, I believe, of somebody yelling at Joel and being like, yo, step up, like, you know, doing what people think Nick is going to do is PJ in game four and Joel responded perfectly to it. So, or, and I want to bring up another example. When Jimmy Butler was here, the famous clip of him yelling at Joel to shoot the ball. And then they're in the huddle and he's like, that's why you shoot that shot. Like Joel responds to people who challenge him. He won and Bill Self at Kansas, his college coach was a guy who was like, you're going to be the number one pick in the draft. You're going to be this to a kid who at the time was like learning basketball. (laughs) And he wrote him and said, like, you have to push yourself to be this guy. So I, I absolutely think the evidence is there that if you get in his chest and you say, I want and need this from you, that he will respond to that. So my other thing that I've thought since they hired nurse, and I'm basing this off, how he talked about him at the press conference, and then also the caption from his book where he talks about how you can take Joel out of the game. I don't get the sense that Nick Nurse is completely enthralled or like, you know, thinks Joel is God's gift to basketball. But I think that's a good thing. I think Nick realizes Joel has things he needs to work on. And I, I don't I don't think it's good if Nick Nurse comes in here and is like, you know, Joel's the top dog. I'm I'm just here to make, you know, to do what Joel wants. I, I'm so lucky to get to get to coach Joel. And I'm not saying he doesn't think Joel is good. Obviously, he knows Joel is really good. Obviously, he knows Joel is very talented. But even yesterday when he was asked about Joel, and I forget the question specifically, but he started off by saying, yeah, you know, he, he's, he's great on the defensive end. And then he starts to talk about his offense. And maybe this is just my hate for defense that is projecting here. But I think the fact that when he talks about Joel – he is very open to the fact that there's things he needs to work on. And we know that Doc famously would not do that to his players. Doc at the podium would, even when Ben was completely unraveling, and I respect this to a sense with Doc, because it's probably, frankly, how I would handle it. But, you know, he was never willing to rip Ben Simmons. I definitely already get the sense that while Nick Nick respects Joel and knows Joel is one of the best, you know, one-hand players in the league, I do think that Nick is very realizing that Joel has serious issues, you know, he needs to work on. And so I think it's actually a good thing that I don't get the sense that Nick's going to come in here and just, you know, bend over for Joel and do whatever he wants. I think that, that Nick is going to come in here with the real clear eyed view of Joel, you're awesome, but here's what I know about you that I can help make you better. Well, again, I know you hate defense, but I I do think the fact that, his mind first and foremost goes to defense when he brought up Joel is a really interesting thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, and I brought this up when they hired nurse, he has an offense or he came from 
this is an offensive guy. He's an offensive guru. That's why he comes to Toronto. It's why he ends up getting the head coaching job. And then over the last five years, people look at him as, oh, look at the type of defense they play. Like the reason they won the title in many ways was because that's one of the best, most versatile defenses we've seen in the playoffs in a long, long time. And so the fact that, you know, he's walking into a team where guy just won MVP because he was the scoring leader for the entire NBA for the second year in a row. And his brain instantly goes to, well, first of all, defensively, he's great. And it's right. Like, hey, that should, I would say that should set off some alarm bells, right? Not like bad alarm bells, but like, hey, antennas up. Like that's where he's yeah. thinking first. And maybe that means on offense, yeah, they're going to play through Joel. Like he's their best player and all that. But maybe that means we're not going to put as much on Joel's plate yeah, that, on offense. Yeah, yeah. And we do need him to be, you know, if he scores 26 a game, but he has, you know, 10%, 15% more to give on a play-to-play basis on defense. And however that manifests, like, hey, you're playing up higher. We're going to blitz more. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Maybe that ends up being better for the team. And maybe they can play different schemes and do different things. And so I think that's a really interesting thing that comes out of that, that it's just a small, like he barely touched on, you know, how are we going to use Joel? Again, as I said earlier, they – um they kept it very vague or he kept it very vague. Like there's no nailed down. This is the scheme. This is the style. Cause they don't know what the roster is going to look like quite yet. But I do think he's coming in with more of a blank slate approach for Joel's style and the team's offense. And I think that's a good thing. They're going to yeah. learn this on the fly and uh, they're going to see what works. Yeah. And that's, I think that's better put what I was trying to say. I agree. I I don't get the sense that he is coming in here and being like the world is centering around Joel. I, I think in a, in a way, and I mean this as a positive, not a negative, I think Nick Nurse is going to do what he believes is best for the team and everybody else has to fall in line. And I think that's what this team needs after a few years of, you know, not that, not that style of coaching. So, all right, Joel, James, Tyrese, um, trying to think of what else I, I had from the the press conference i mean i do think you can tell him and maury are you know very close and do have a genuine good relationship i cover nick sirianni and howie roseman press conferences where they can't go through two answers without like giggling at each other and it gets annoying <laughs> after a while but i mean i do think nick and frankly this feeds back into the Embiid thing of Embiid being the center of the offense I think that now the sixers have two people running the team and nick nurse and daryl maury that are much more naturally aligned in their beliefs than yeah. Doc and, and Daryl were. And, and, and I thought that showed yesterday. Yeah. Look, when the GM hires the coach rather than you hire the coach and then another guy comes in, you have that natural synergy from day one. And I think that's something that can really be taken for granted, but we know, look, I, nurse has said it when he came to Houston, essentially the conversation that he has with the front office there is, Hey, we want to shoot lots of threes and get rid of mid range shots. Can you design an offense to do that? And that's his operating procedure from day one there. And it's how he develops a reputation. And that's the sort of line of communication you need to have between the people who are running the, the organization and the guy who's implementing everything they do, who's using the draft picks, the free agents and everything there's just a, a more one-to-one look, you go out and you sign, we're bringing up his name again, Daniel House Jr. And there's already an understanding from the coach. This is how I'd use a guy mm-hmm. like that. And this is how we'll implement him. And so it should make it easier. They're not going to have a lot of high draft picks in the immediate future, right? So if you get a guy in the second round, like uh, Isaiah Joe, who they ended up cutting last year, or Paul Reed is a better example because he's still on the team. There's probably a better path for guys like that where from day one you say, all right, this guy's going to play 10 minutes in this month, 15 minutes this month, whatever it is, and you can chart out a path forward kind of together rather than No, I'm not going to say it was total throwing darts at a board and just seeing where they land, but there was a little bit more of just Doc's going to decide what Doc decides to do. Right. And now it's more of a a synergy. So the other important part of Nick Nurse's job, as Doc found out, 
is going to be dealing with the Philly media and dealing with Philly as a sports town. I think that a lot of times, especially with, with basketball coaches, like how they're viewed can be very much just dependent on how they are at the podium. Cause it's hard to watch. And there's little things you can pick up on, you know, timeouts, sub patterns, those things, but it's not like football where I can sit here and go, he made that play call on third and one. I'd like mm -hmm. him or didn't like him for this doc. I was only around him brief briefly seemed like a nice guy, but I think it's fair to say he ended up having a somewhat adversarial relationship with the city. Things like scheduled losses, the, his continued defending of Ben. I mean, even in his, uh, in the statement when he got fired, he said, I feel he's a tough town. I think you found out I'm tough too, which I don't even know what he's trying to say by that. I guess like they both fought the whole time. I, I don't know where he's going, but it was only one press conference, but you have been around Nick nurse quite a bit. How do you think Philly, how do you think he's going to handle Philly? And how do you think just the fans, the media, like, do you think he seems equipped for kind of what he's walking into? We'll see. I would say that I can't say with any certainty because I mean, doc came from Boston or didn't yeah. come directly from Boston, but coached in a market like Boston that they're as diehard as it gets when it comes to sports. Man, we're banging around downstairs in my house. Hopefully <laughs> that's not part of the uh, the podcast right now. I mean, the so, house is being built, you know, literally and figuratively with this team and your house. So. so I think Doc had an understanding of what it's like to play in a diehard Northeastern sports market, but right. You never really know, right? Coming from Toronto to Philadelphia, much different jump. It's all the the stereotypical nice Canadians, smaller media presence to yeah. there's dozens of people there yesterday. So it's just dealing with more people and doing more of that kind of stuff. He gets on a podcast with John Clark immediately. It's all, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. just lots of things going on here. So it's hard for me to say. I do think if he keeps his reputation as a says what it is, honest type guy in front of a microphone, I think that alone will make people maybe not like him, but certainly respect him. I think fans, mm -hmm. the thing with, that fans didn't like is that it felt like doc was ignoring what they're seeing sometimes. And I don't, I think that's kind of unfair because I think it's more that doc style was just, I'm not going to criticize guys at the podium. And that's, as long as you're doing it behind the scenes, that's fine. Because one guy who actually shares that in common, former doc assistant, is Tom Thibodeau, who might be the one of the nastiest, <laughs> angriest guys behind the scenes in the yeah. league. He's obviously a hard-charging, tough-minded coach. But if you were to watch a, a Thibodeau press conference, I cannot think of a single time he stood behind a microphone and said, it was the player's fault. It's always, we got to do better. I got to mm -hmm. coach them better. It's very like boring, but his policy is I'm not going to throw guys under the bus. And that's for us to figure out behind the scenes. So whether it's something that the, makes the fans like nurse more and respect him more is not the same as whether it works with his players. But I do think that his style will fit what I think people in Philadelphia like, because Look, I mean, he's not Buddy Ryan, but Buddy Ryan didn't win shit when he was here with the Eagles, which yes. somehow gets forgotten now. And right. he's still one of the most beloved coaches in Eagles history, arguably the most beloved coach in Eagles history, just because mm -hmm. he was a anti-Cowboys, you know, right. asshole. And yeah, exactly. Like, and everyone hates Jonathan Gannon because he, whatever. But I think what, one thing I picked up on Nurse yesterday was, I think with Doc, there was... Uh, and he's again, back to a statement, you know, you're a, you're a tough city. I think you figured out I'm tough too. I think doc was willing to not, he was unwilling to give the fans what they wanted at the podium. And I think so much of just being liked in this city at the podium is, you know, people make fun of Nick Sirianni and Bryce Harper for pandering, but I'll tell you this much. People never rip those, you know, like they pandering works. Have, it works. Pandering <laughs> works. Yes. And I think that another way, another way that Daryl and Nick being close, um, will help is I think Daryl is very media savvy, right? I think he's a very smart guy with that. And I think Nick is too. So I, I think that, and look, they're going to win 50 plus games barring, you know, a disaster with Embiid. So I, I think it'll get off to a good start. I, I do think he seems like the personality ready to, uh, to deal with this city. Um, do you have any more Nick nurse takeaways before we get to uh, a hypothetical I have for you? 
I don't think so. I think good. All right. 40 minutes on a press conference that was yeah. 30 minutes is uh, goes good. against yeah. my rule of, dude, I hate all these podcasts that are about, like I've seen people do a 90 minute to two hour podcast on like a three minute Marvel trailer. <laughs> and it's the most insane shit I've ever seen in my life. Do there should be a rule. I don't listen to a single second of it. I see people <laughs> like, you got to listen to this podcast. And it's like, bro, I'm not watching or not watching. I am not listening to a two hour coverage of something that lasted for three minutes. I'm sorry. I mean, like, that's, that's like just... longer than the movie. That's longer. That's than what I'm saying, yeah. dude. It's crazy. <laughs> Speaking of which, maybe we'll save this, but have you watched the succession finale? Yes. No, right. we can't really talk about that yet. I don't want to get into spoiler territory. I won't, but I'll say this. With a show like Succession, if you still haven't watched it, I I take your seriousness as a fan somewhat. Like, I take it with a grin. <laughs> it's been, what, four or five? Or no, it's been more than that. It's been, yeah, like five days or whatever. Like, come on. We won't do it on this pod. But to anyone listening that says you're a Succession fan and hasn't watched it, man up, prove you're a fan, and watch it before the next episode. Oh, my right. God. Spicy. <laughs> All right, so a lot of talk this week about a former Nick Nurse player, Fred Van Vliet. Um, what's interesting about the Fred Van Vliet thing is he is going to be a free agent if he turns out his player option. So it will be it will be tough to acquire. But as a result, like there's been a lot of talk of who would you rather have, James Harden or Fred Van Vliet. Um, I know where I fall on it, but I'm curious for this hypothetical, who would you rather have on your team if you're the Sixers, Harden or James Fred Harden. Van Vliet? James yeah, Harden easily. Like, All right, well, this has been a good episode to clap your hands. No. <laughs> look, man, I, I think if you had a guy like Van Vliet and he's your sixth man on a team like this, that's great. I, I mean, what, you're going to war with Fred Van Vliet and Tyrese Maxey as your two creators? That's yeah. That's not good. That is not good. Um, I think you can get away with that on a team that has Kawhi Leonard and bigger wings, but you can't put Fred Van Vliet on this. Well, you could look part of the problem is that to sign Van Vliet, the rumors out there or what he's after, it seems like he wants to be like a $30 million a yep. year guy. I'm not paying that guy $30 million a year. I'm sorry. And historically pretty good to very good defender. I think he's slipped there pretty significantly over the last year or two. Now, some of that is because they're playing in this weird science experiment team in Toronto, but also he's a small guard. And historically when small guards slip physically and they start going down that, that is a, a real dangerous path. They can go off of a cliff really quickly. He is not a good enough off the dribble, get to the rim type guy that I think they can just survive with him as, hey, he's your guy, and that's between him and Maxi. That's who you give the ball to in the final, you know, however many five minutes, ten minutes of a game. Right. So, look, him on the team, good. Him on the team at thirty million plus, and he's one of your most important players. No, thank you. That's my general thought on him. He might be one of the top examples in the league of playoff success, completely dictating how people view you with Tyler Hero being maybe number two on this, right? Like, so early in his career, I think maybe even his rookie year, second or third year, the Raptors win the title. And I have this memory of, of him in that series being like excellent and being like, oh my God, Fred Van Vliet is so clutch. And now for these last few years, I've had this idea of him as he's a, you know, he's got that dog in him, like blah, blah, blah. You look, he wasn't actually that good in the finals. He had one really good game. He had like 20 points. But outside of that, I think he maybe averaged 14 points for that series. And I don't want to completely rip all over him because I do think if they lose James and you could just slide Fred Van Bleed in, you're definitely a worse team, 100%. But I think there's value to having him because he knows Nick Nurse. He is a willing three-point shooter. He His three-point shooting has definitely slipped a little bit. But if you look over the past four years, so – there was a, or I'm sorry, last three. Years. I want to interrupt you really quickly just Go to piggyback off that point. What do you think Fred Van Vliet shot in the 2019 series against the Sixers? The 2019 series. So that was the Kawhi series. Um, again, I have this perception of him being like a clutch NBA dog player. Uh, um, threes you're talking? Um, no, from the field. From the field? Uh, I don't know, 55, 60%. He shot 12 and a half percent against the Sixers <laughs> in that series. Okay. So there and, we go. And, and from three, 
against the Sixers in that series, he shot 7%. 7%. Then in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Eastern Conference Finals, he shoots 57% from three. So this is what I mean. If you're a guard who your game is predicated on, you are a high-volume three-point shooter. If you go cold, you are basically worthless. Like he in that Sixers series was, I think, by far – the worst high minute player in that series. And I don't even think it was close. So yeah, well, just, and I just wanted I, to throw that out. I don't think he was that good last year against him in the first. Correct. He, he, shot, he shot 33% from three. So admittedly much better than 7%. Right. But still but, not good. Yeah. And they, but, they beat up on him on defense. Harden absolutely destroyed him when he, well, and him. that's probably why Nick nurse said he was so hard to game plan for because he didn't have anyone that could guard him. But so there was a WIP poll of who would you rather have, Fred Van Vliet or Harden? And granted, people are mad right now, but like 85% of the people picked Fred Van Vliet. So let's just, just crazy, it, it is crazy. And I don't think there's a lot of crossover in listeners of this pod for voters of that poll. But just to put this out here, over the last three years, Harden averages more points, more rebounds, more assists, more uh, the same amount of blocks. He shoots at a higher percentage. He's a better three-point shooter. He has a better effective field goal percentage. And his VORP, for all the Jokic fans out there, is oh three point God. is three points higher, right? So Harden's a better player, point blank period. If you want to, the only argument for me for Fred Van Vliet is he's younger and he's played with Nurse. Like, that's it. Those are the two arguments. But to your point, if Fred Van Vliet is their second best player next year or, you know, 2A, whatever you want to say with Maxi, then they're not as good. Like, they're not as good. And that's why, to circle all the way back, I hope money isn't an end-all, be-all with Harden because they are they are way better with Harden than they would be with a lot of the alternatives. I do want to say, the one, if you want to play devil's advocate here, the case for Van Vliet is that if this does go into like fully Joel-centric world, Harden walks and it's a, everything is going through Joel. Having a guy who is a much more comfortable and confident catch-and-shoot guy in Van Vliet rather than Harden, who had a great shooting season last year, but you and I both know, and everybody listening to this knows, not a comfortable catch-and-shoot guy. Like, that is not his wheelhouse. He is not. You have to – the fact that we had to talk so much about, oh, man, look, he's willing to take catch-and-shoot threes. That is a problem in itself. Mm -hmm. You bring Fred Van Vliet in, he is firing away on open threes. And you can just play a a four-out around Joel – throw it to Van Vliet, throw it to Maxi, throw it to whoever else is on the floor, and you're just gunning away, gunning away. Now, here's the thing. You then become completely predicated on our guys making shots, and that's a dangerous way to live. Like We saw it with Boston. who They have guys who three-point shooters but also are bigger wings and attackers and can beat you in that way. They were a live-by-the-three, die-by-the-three team, and they died by the three in the conference finals against – a Miami team that barely made the playoffs. So right. there are real risks to playing that sort of strategy. But, you know, Van Vliet's a guy who will take 10 threes a game. Like if you just say we're giving the ball to Joel every time down and if they double, we have Van Vliet or Maxi on the perimeter ready to just fire away. That's not a terrible option. I'm not saying it's like, oh, man, that's a disaster. My problem is. Once they take stuff like that away or against good defenses that can pinch on Joel and then recover, being built around two small guards would be really, really tough, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, when you started this off by saying he'd be good as a six man, that probably gave us all we needed to know about, uh, you know, how how if he should be a starter for them. And I think financially it'd be hard to do, right? I mean, this is Daryl's job to figure it out if they're going to get him, but you'd pretty much have to sign and trade. And that you're talking about fits him for Toby, you know, maybe I could see that. I don't know why the Raptors would really do that, but yeah. So I find it, um, I find unlikely it'll happen, but that is the latest rumor. There hasn't really been any other Sixers rumors in terms of guys they might be interested in. Um, you know, I've talked myself into a quiet possibility, you know, reunite him with nurse. His stock is low, but that, that seems unlikely. So any other, uh, any other final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, well, uh, I think we're saving a one Sixers documentary for some yes. future episodes, maybe one, maybe plural, depending yes. on some things in the works, but uh, well, we'll get to uh, it at some point. 
I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. It unfortunately was on the same time as the Vanderpump Rules reunion part two. So, you know, unfortunately priorities took took place there. Ha- had to watch that. But I hope yeah. everybody listening knows I just put my head <laughs> in my hands. And yeah, this is why you watch YouTube. Why you watch YouTube version. But Kristen's away this weekend. So my plan is to watch it tonight. We'll do a pod on it next week. Um, oh man, boys weekend. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I have a I have a NBA finals thought for you quickly. So just another boring one. None. We'll see. But I think that the everyone makes fun of the Lakers bubble title, right? The Mickey Mouse oh, title. Oh shit! Sorry, the Suns just hired Frank Vogel. So. Oh, did they? Uh, I saw that Doc didn't get the job. I didn't know if that meant. Yeah. I mean, that I'm, seems like a bad hire. I don't know. I'm pretty surprised, honestly. It looked like all signs were pointing to uh, Kevin Young, the former Sixers assistant. So. So Frank Vogel is now going to get to coach LeBron and Kevin Durant. Pretty good. Not a bad gig yeah. if you can get yeah, it. Yeah, not a bad one, especially for what it's paid. Wildwood's own. I don't know if you heard that, but he's from Wildwood. He actually um, went to high school with a friend of mine's dad. So, yeah. Oh, did he? There we go. This could have been big for you. Um, so the Lakers bubble title. Everyone always mocks it and like whatever, blah, blah, blah. I think that title is more impressive than the title the Nuggets are about to get. Like, for, say what you want about the Lakers. At least they had to deal with some adversity of living in a bubble. The Nuggets are playing nobody the entire way. Like, to me, this is going to be a less memorable, less impressive title than the Lakers bubble title. Boom. I don't agree, but here's what I would say. I think I think it's funny to, like, make fun of the Lakers for winning the, the like, A Disney or Le Mickey, right. like, all yeah. the, the stupid nicknames that came yeah, out of that. Trophy. Bubble boy for hero. Here's the middle ground that I sit in. I think the Lakers were the best team that year. I think during the regular season prior to COVID halting the season, they were awesome, like a great two-way team. You think of like all the guys that were on that team, like Cantavius mm-hmm. Caldwell-Pope, now a big contributor on Denver, Alex Caruso, great defensive player that they regret letting go. Yeah, Kyle Kuzma was a great piece on that team. Like So on down the list, there's a lot of guys that fit into roles and LeBron and Anthony Davis were awesome and – you play out the season and it's a normal season. I think there's a good chance they win the title. I think the argument that makes people think the the bubble was bullshit, I think is less about, it's less important that, you know, teams are in this weird situation than it is. LeBron got to rest for like four months and Anthony Davis got to rest. Well, not four months, three months, whatever it was. They got to rest for months at a time. And they're two guys that LeBron, because he's old, and AD, because he's always hurt, that their whole thing is like, can these guys stay healthy? And that's why I think the bubble for them favored them in some ways. But I don't think it means like, oh, they were a a fraud team or they wouldn't have, Hmm. they definitely wouldn't have won the title otherwise. It's just like, it's a what if that we'll never know. So. Yeah. Well, what we do know is the Nuggets title is going to be incredibly unimpressive and nobody's going to care <laughs> in like four, in like 10 years. You're never going to look back and be like, man, remember that epic series between Denver and Miami? So I'm not going well, to. Here's the thing, go. dude. Like, here's the thing. We talked about Denver a good amount on this podcast, right? Yes. They are just kicking teams' asses. Like, they, they are. This They're playoff run, this playoff run says much more about the Nuggets than anybody else in the field. We talked a lot about the Eastern Conference and how tough it is. And look, the road that Denver took on paper, not very tough, but no. they are making it look easy, right? Like okay. they are they are the team that looks the most like, oh, this is just a well-oiled machine. That game one against Miami, Jokic is just like half asleep for most of that game and gets a 27-point yeah, triple-double. Murray carrying him, yeah. Dude, enough of this. Enough of it. He does. Um, I would have liked to see Denver against a real team. That would have been fun to see. Like if if Giannis is healthy or if they play the Celtics or the Sixers, I would be I would be curious to see that. But I will say this now that we're 55 minutes into the pod and I can bury it. Like the Nuggets are a really good team. They are. They are a very good team. I would just be curious. He can find, oh, it's the, I think you should leave guy. Oh my God, he admitted. <laughs> I just, I think I would have liked to see them against a good team. It would have been fun to see, but they are disposing of the teams they are playing, to your point. They are not making this close. They're embarrassing them. So anyway, it sucks the NBA season's over, but it's all right. We'll have off season. <laughs> 
to deal with. So, all right, this has been another episode of Clap Your Hands. Thank you guys so much for still listening at this point. Uh, if you are still listening, leave a review. Leave a five-star review. We're at 50 right now. We should be higher than that. We need to get into the at least over 100, I think, should be a triple a, digits. Sometimes triple soon, digits, please. yeah. It'll, it'll make us feel better. It'll legitimize us. So everybody, leave us a five-star review. It would mean a lot. Um, we'll be back next week, as Kyle said. Now that I have the weekend to myself, I will watch the 01 uh, Sixers documentary. We'll talk about that. And there'll be plenty of Nick Nurse stuff to get into, too. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And Kyle, I'll talk to you next time. Talk to you guys soon.